welcome Highfalutin Ski Bump Podcast, episode number 219. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what is up? Uh, not much. I'm, I'm actually getting excited for the upcoming ski season now. We're talking to some people. We're hearing some things. There's a lot of things happening, so it's good. We're hearing some things. We're also saying some things. We are. It's getting to the point now where we got some things to say and some people are listening. So that's, that's right. what I'm saying. That's that's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. And we are rolling into Labor Day weekend this weekend. This should be out by the time Labor Day weekend is underway. And as skiers and snowboarders, we all know that's kind of it's almost like our Memorial Day. It's that's we're getting fired up. Our season's gonna start. Our happy time is about to begin. Yeah, that's a good analogy. So I'm because, because so many people are like those summer dipshits who are like, oh my God, like I love summer. It's like literally the best. And now they're all upset because summer is ending. And I remember as a kid, that dread feeling you get at the end of August because school is starting. But you know, as an adult and as a skier, you realize that, you know what? This is actually the best goddamn time of year. Oh yeah, when when your kids get a little older, you'll be like, "This is great. The kids aren't going to be sitting at home. <laughs> I don't have to find stuff for them to do. Go to school, kids." That's right. Get on your gas mask and your full hazmat suit, and let's go That's to it. school. That's it. Make sure you bring the extra respirator, and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> always, you always have to have the extra one. Your whole scuba tank, you know, whatever you need. That's it. It's only going to get more ridiculous. It is. That's why we're here to help you forget about that nonsense. And focus on what truly matters, skiing and snowboarding. So thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We are on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Ski Bump Podcast. Perhaps you like email and want to send us one. We would enjoy that. You could do so, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Or you like the podcast and you want to subscribe. That's a good idea. Favorite podcasting apps, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. We are at Ski Bum Podcast. And just so you know, we're not like Joe Rogan. We're not having our stuff censored by Spotify. All of our stuff is out there, uncensored, uncensored. unbridled. That's right. They don't look at us. We're under the radar. They, huh, they are not going to edit our placenta eating podcast. Oh, no. Ah, placenta fest. What, what was my note? I, I... You're all you're concerned about the nutrients being destroyed. The placenta uh, rant. I wrote that down. I was like, oh, <laughs> I had to tell Melanie what that meant. I was like, yeah, this just be prepared. If you listen to that podcast, there's a placenta rant at the beginning. That's all I told her. I mean, it was really, it was quite brilliant. I think that should be, maybe we'll get a food network show. I think we need a shirt, like a placenta eating shirt or something. Placenta clause. Placenta clause. Yeah. Well, instead of like, you know, hot dog eating contest, there you go. Oh, it writes itself like a Nathan's placenta eating contest <laughs> winner. No, it happened to be like Johnson and Johnson's or what you got, Joey America. Chestnut. How much placenta can you eat? That's right, Joey Chestnut. How many pounds of placenta can you eat? Biatch. <laughs> How many pounds of placenta can you eat? <laughs> that seems uh, like it would be on someone's like Tinder profile. Ah, uh, yeah, you can sort by placenta consumed, high to low. Oof. Boom. Real you, men. You know, you get the old uh, Traeger smoker, you know, and throw uh, the placenta on there for a couple hours. You start doing smoke placenta, now you're talking. But I think, again, it kills the nutrients. I think like you got to sushi that. Like a brisket. 
<laughs> you gotta eat it like sushi. <laughs> Fresh from the source. Fresh from the source. Grab those chopsticks, a little wasabi soy sauce, boom. Dude, if that was a delicacy, there'd be people lining up to eat that shit. Um, people drink coffee made from the coffee beans that cats shit out. So yes. why is placenta so crazy? That's the big one, right? The cats shit it out. Oh, now the best is their, um, what do they call it? It's the husk of the bean and they make coffee out of it and people are drinking that. Cascara? Oh, cascara. Make the foam out of it and stuff? Yeah, it, it's fucking the leftover that nobody used to eat. And now it's like, oh my God, I have to have this. Do it people, sounds so exotic. Does, do the people at Starbucks just laugh all day long? Like all the executives, like all the bullshit they came up with? Oh yeah. They must. They got to be freaking laughing their ass off. Now, I know we've talked about it in the past. One of my favorite news websites, quotes, is the Babylon Bee. If you haven't checked it out, it was, I think it's like a Christian satire site. But God damn it, they have some of the funniest writers on the web right now. And they had a whole, they had a, one of their stories over the last week. They said that um, Antifa protesters are now using pumpkin spice Molotov cocktails during protests. That's uh, <laughs> genius. That's fantastic. Comedy genius. gold right there. Uh, yeah. So the, the cascara is, it's tea made from the skins of the coffee fruit, which is the leftover plant remains after the coffee beans have been collected from within. So it's basically what they used to throw away. Like placenta is to cascara as baby is to coffee bean. So think about the disgustingness of the cat. This, this has to be a special, it's like a, ti- uh, it's like a, a tiger or something that eats it. Um, it's a much smaller cat than that. I oh, whatever. So uh, I thought it was like a tiger or something. Eats this, this tiger blood coffee, this coffee, this coffee fruit, right? I guess it probably breaks down the, the fruit part and it shits out the bean. So now instead of having somebody take the bean out of this fruit and you have the leftover part of it that now they're making tea out of and selling you at a premium, the cat's eating that. The cat's eating that and shitting him directly out, and you're eating that. It's a civet. So so it's not... Oh, is it? Yeah. So it's not in the coffee fruit anymore. It's in duty. And they're picking it out, and then they're making coffee out of it. Mmm, tastes a a bit nutty. There's a bit of science behind why it's delicious. Hey, I don't think It's freaking delicious. Don't just close your eyes and just drink it. You know you can just go get ice cream instead. Ice cream is so much cheaper and so much more delicious. But <sighs> hey, if cat poop coffee is your thing, God bless you. Make it happen. Because you know what? We don't judge people here. We celebrate uniqueness and difference. So how do you do that? Do you go like, look, I want the most exotic coffee. Well, this was shit from a water buffalo. No, no, I want something more exotic. Like, do you have to keep going that way? Like, how does that come out? Whoever tried that? Said, Above my pay hey, grade, man. Hey, you, it, I always think about the first person that ever did that because alcohol is an amazing thing. Like, ah, this sat around for a while. It's been kind of growing shit. I'm going to drink it. And you're like, oh, this is delicious. I'm glad they did that. But like, that's a little out there. Think about the first person that had that coffee bean out of the poop. Was it necessity? Because that's all they had or like what? What like maybe their pet cat like ate their coffee beans. They're like, oh, you little asshole. Like, oh my God, you ate the beans. And he looked at the cat crap and was like, oh, well, you know, I guess I can still use them. 
still there. Let's wash them off and rinse them off and throw them in the grinder. You know, throw in the grinder, put like six Splenda in there and like half a gallon of cream. Oh, this is actually pretty delicious. Damn. You know what I want to see? Like, I want to see the cat that shit out the beans on the box. <laughs> How does that feel for the cat? Because you got to think the size of a cat to a bean. Like how big would that be to a human? What's, so what's that like a human size? How big is a cat? Is it like a tiny, like a house cat? Or is it's it, like I thought a, it was a bigger. No, I think it's like a, a pretty small cat. Damn. So it's like trying to push this thing out. Like, uh, it's like pushing out like a, not a watermelon, but uh, that's way too big. God so damn. Like a, like a child's football. <laughs> it's like reverse foie gras. <laughs> shoving food down. You shove food through them to shit it out. And then you're eating it from the shit. Foie gras, the negative first power. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how it seems negative. It just seems negative to me. It's the opposite of foie gras. Dude, it's a tiny ass cat, this thing. God damn, this cat's so, getting smaller as the night goes on. Dude, it's like a really tiny cat, so that means the bean God has got to be the like the cat butthole to bean ratio is like way bigger. Damn. That fucking little bean is like a watermelon to this thing. That's what I'm saying. All right, it's the size of its nose. So imagine you crapped out something the size of your nose. That wouldn't feel too good. Depends, right? It'd be like a, be like a lime. Softer. It'd be like a like shitting a lime. That yeah, wouldn't feel bad. wonderful. God damn. Yeah. You know, some sick fucks that are listening to this are gonna be like, I like that, I like that coffee even more now. <laughs> it's 80 bucks a pop in some places, so God damn. So what was the coffee called? Catch a coffee? <laughs> Cat poop coffee. Kopi Luwak. K-O-P-I-L-U-W-A-K. It could, a coffee that consists of partially digested coffee cherries, which have been eaten and defecated by the Asian palm civet. There you go. Oh, they have a picture of it. And it's like the whole poop is just coffee beans. I mean, damn. So just imagine like a lime log, just a bunch of limes. All <laughs> <sucking in. laughs> looks like a fucking like a baby roof. <laughs> looks like a payday. <laughs> it's like a fucking payday, man. Damn. That's the bar. Fucking payday, yeah. I've never eaten payday again. <laughs> Goddamn horrible, man. <laughs> Damn. Fucking horror. Oh my god, that thing looks like a lemur. It doesn't even look like a cat. Right? It's like a weird little funky Holy cat. <laughs> payday. <laughs> It's a fucking, fucking nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, goddamn cats shitting out paydays over there. People oh. are priming up and drinking them. God damn. People are fucking animals for eating that. What the fuck are we doing here? Poor goddamn civet. So they're saying retail prices are 550 euro to 700 euro per kilogram. <laughs> Damn. The fucking payday thing has gotten me dying over here. Because <laughs> it does. I'm looking at the picture. I'm like, it looks, it looks like, like something it. I've seen before. <laughs> oh, Halloween's coming up, kids. <laughs> Get your fun size paydays. <laughs> oh, man. God damn. God damn. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> Starting off strong today. We got a ripper of an episode. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We really do appreciate it. It's time for Opre Today. 
So I am going back to the cream and sugar, please. This delicious coffee. Speaking of coffee. Order. Yeah. Speaking of coffee. Uh, I don't know what this was crapped out by, but it's actually really good. <laughs> they put a little, and that's what I want to see. I want to see the exact little lemur that shat it out right that, on the bag. That beer would be like $600 a can. It would be, right? right? You'd be like, mm, this is the most exotic. I'd be drinking out of a snifter, getting all fancy and shit. Uh, yeah, no, this is, a, this is a good beer. This is the last one I had in the fridge, and I was running around today. So just grabbed that, and I figured I'd go. I think I had this on the podcast, what, a few weeks ago? Yeah, I think so. Now I'm going to have to go searching for it again because it's 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 in uh, high demand around here. Nice. So how about you, Bri? Well, I talked about it several times over the summer. I'm trying to find some more lower alcohol beers that I can enjoy because God knows I'd love my double IPAs and IPAs, but need something a little more chill so you can have them in the summer and not feel so, so banged up and dehydrated. So I've had this one. This is the second time I've had it this summer on the podcast because, well, summer is just about over. So I don't want to have any more of these in my fridge. When fall rolls around and the IPAs and the Oktoberfest and God damn it, Mario, a couple pumpkin beers might be in there. I already had a Dunkin' Donuts pumpkin donut. Jesus. And I was like, it was too soon though. I had it and I was like, yeah, too soon. 94 degrees is a hurricane going on and drinking oh, your yeah. pumpkin beer. Of course. But boiling sun. It was horrible. Do what you got to do. It's just not right though. <laughs> so I got my, my River Horse Watermelon Kolsch which is a local-ish New Jersey beer. It's uh, brewed out of Ewing, New Jersey, River Horse Brewing. And it's a nice Kolsch-style watermelon ale. I think Kolsch-style is like my go-to summer style now. You know, it's just the right level of, of sweetness because it's not, it's not overly sweet like a shandy, but it's, uh, it's light, drinkable. It's 4.1%. Yeah, a little bit of watermelon flavor. It's not like... Like a, again, like a shandy, which has got that kind of really overpowering watermelony flavor, and I, I really just love these beers. I think they're just fantastic for the summer. Very cool. So nice job, River Horse. Way to go! You got the title this year, Brian's <laughs> beer of the summer. Brian's beer. Of the, now, you ever think about putting crushed watermelon in that, or pouring that over a bowl of watermelon? No. But one thing, one thing I bought from Costco a couple of months ago, you know, the little cartons, which it's usually like protein shakes. It's like the, the carton has a little screw top on there. Yeah. They have the same size of watermelon juice. And that's all right. it is, is like 100% just freshly squeezed or whatever dripped out watermelon juice. And I've mixed that in a bunch of stuff. Just kind of like throw a little bit of a like splash of that in with things. That's really nice. good. That'd be good. A nice little martini. But I think this weekend I may have a couple more watermelon margaritas to uh, to bid a fine farewell to this stupid summer 2020. Well, after we spoke last week, I bought a watermelon. Melanie bought a watermelon separately the same day. We came together like, oh, we both bought watermelons. <laughs> I opened up the one from Walmart. It was going rotten. I was like, yeah, this is why I got mine from Publix. Better watermelon. Goddamn Walmart. I was at Costco this weekend. And you know what I bought? Another watermelon. Dude, watermelons from Costco are, I think it was like 40 pounds. Yeah, it was a big ass one. Yeah, it's like a kettlebell. <laughs> yeah, they're so dense. Like right now, this time of year, they're so dense and like watery and awesome. Oh, delicious. 
So it's on breath. the counter now. I have following your advice. Chuck it on the counter. That's the reserve one. So got to have one in the fridge and one on the counter. That's I use the other half that's in the fridge. Cut that out today. Now I got the other one sitting on the counter waiting. Just waiting. I might actually buy another mini fridge just to keep a watermelon in it at all times. Oh, can you imagine, you know, people you have wine fridges. How about a watermelon fridge just for the summer? Exactly. Watermelon fridge. It's just an extra, not even like a small one, just a full-size fridge, just full of watermelons. Just like, boom, like 10 watermelons in there. Oh, like, and special watermelon holders. Because, you know, it's, it's tough when you put the whole watermelon in the fridge because it's all like wobbly and rolling around and, you know. Oh, yeah. You, you never like, know. You, you open the door. Hold them in place. Exactly. Like watermelon-sized egg cups. That's what like, you need. Or you know how, you know how like certain wine holders like a slight angle, so the bottle's a little bit up. Yeah. Have it so the watermelon. It's almost like a kicking tee for a football. You know. Right back. Yeah. Like a tee, so it won't fall down. All right, watermelon tee. Watermelon tee. We can make, make that happen. So you, you have those stupid-ass banana up. hangers, right? Yeah, banana hangers. Banana hangers. Why not a goddamn watermelon tee? Yeah, I like that. Are you ready for some watermelon? Could be like a little scrotum that like holds two. It's like hanging. Hey man. And then net. So that's your vision. That holds them in there. That's your art. Go with it. It's <laughs> my art. <laughs> All right. Getting back out of the <laughs> out of that discussion. <laughs> and we'll uh actually we have a little article here while we're in the uh opera. And it's the best the seven best craft breweries in Vermont, uh, according to Hop Culture. Um, and we've been to a lot of these, so I'll start with the number one. I think you've seen this already. So if anybody follows our podcast, they would know number one, most likely Hill Farmstead. You know, it wasn't one of those like ironic articles where they had to pick some weird brewery with like four people in someone's backyard that makes like, you know, a gallon of beer a year. Actually, they actually kept it real. They said, you know what? Hill Farmstead is just the best. They're the winners. Mm. So, yeah, they talk about Hill Farmstead and that Sean Hill, the founder, names many of his beers after ancestors that lived on the family farm. So it's kind of cool when you think about that and then you go to taste. Be prepared to go to the middle of nowhere, but it's well worth the trip, right? Oh, my God. Like I still remember that last time we went, how awesome that was. Oh, yeah. We skied at Jay and we we actually left a powder day a little bit early to make sure we would get to Hill Farmstead before they closed yep. for our outbreaks. Now and that wasn't so, the first time, but you remember the first time we went? The first time we went was ski bum week, wasn't it? That was ski bum week. And we pulled up, we were like driving and then we're on a dirt road. We're like, where the hell are we with it? Like we thought we were lost. And then we pull up and we see this barn and Hill Farmstead. We're like, ah, oh. and then, I think we went into the where they sell the bottles and stuff and kegs. And we're like, all right, it's regular what we expect. You know, it's, you don't see anything. And they're like, no, no, go next door. We got a tasting room. So we went next door and the door is open. And what did you think? I was like, where the fuck am I? Like, <laughs> it's like, swing. Oh, yeah. it's cool. It's like, oh, it's new. It's beautiful. Everything was, was great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Hill Farmstead. Look it up if you're ever in Vermont. This next you got one, four hours to waste just driving to the middle of nowhere and driving back. Yeah, it's far from everything. If you're in Burlington, I think it's it was two hours. 
Next one, actually, I got this from a re- your, one of your recommendations that you got from somebody. So last time I was up in Burlington, Foam Brewing Company. They have a really cool place. And when we were there, it's kind of like inside this big building that's like a apartments or something like that. See, so it's kind of unassuming. You go in there and it's like all chill. There, people were playing some cool music and the bar had like these lit up. It was like all wood and it had like cutouts that were lit up. And it was kind of swanky looking. I was like, wow, it was like a chill atmosphere. But the beers they had, they were pretty awesome. So that's the one I still regret because I had the choice. It was the it was April of 2017. They opened in 2016 uh-huh. I to go to foam or to the growler garage. And I chose the growler garage, which was a horrible decision. Chose I, drank there, I drank a goddamn citizen cider. Why would I do that? I don't know. Just- gone to citizen cider i could have just got i i don't know i just the place sounded so awesome the growler garage i i don't it know awesome i just pictured a place like with like 80 taps and just filling shit up and it was really just just a kind of bar that's now no longer there because it sucked uh now when we went to foam too it was um it was pretty freaking cold and we walked all the way from like where like middle of, I guess that other part of downtown from foam walked all the way to citizen cider and then all the way back down to foam, which is down by the water. And, uh, it was like, there's probably about a foot of snow that fell or half a foot of snow that fell. <laughs> all right. Next one is the alchemist. Oh yeah. So this one, I haven't been to the new brewery. I was at the old one next to where I was watching Brian eat Ben and Jerry's. Like it was going out of style. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, that one I've actually been to. So you you went to Foam and I've been to the Alchemist one. And yeah, yeah, same kind of thing. It's new, it's beautiful, but instead of being in the middle of nowhere like Hill Farmstead, this is right on the mountain road going up to Stowe. I mean they're just in a they're just in an epic spot. And they make, of course, Heady Topper. So uh, OG. OG double IPAs. Another OG next on the list is Lawson's finest liquids. This is sip of sunshine, double sip of sunshine, <laughs> triple sip of sunshine. And you've been uh, to that one, right? Yes. This one is great because uh, where's this Warren? Warren, yeah. And the best part of this is a block away from Waitsfield, technically. Yeah. Huh? A Waitsfield, technically. They're like almost connected those towns. Yeah. And this is right across from like Mad Taco, which we found during ski bum week and we were like, this is amazing. And they had sip of sunshine on tap and double on tap. It was amazing. They had Hill farm set on tap. Last time I was there at Mad uh, Taco. Yep. And they make great tacos. They have one in Montpellier now, but I think that that Waitsfield one was like the original or something. Yeah. The place is just goddamn treasure. It's an institution. All right. Next up is zero gravity craft brewery. That's right in Burlington. That's the place that had the, uh, we got pizza there, right? It was flatbread. Flatbread, excuse me. Which is just fancy goddamn pizza. (laughs) Fancy pizza. But they had good food there. Cool atmosphere. I don't know if John went here because he was up in Burlington last week. He dropped off his uh, son for University of Vermont. That's awesome. He was there hanging around in Burlington. He went to foam and he went, he he was going to zero gravity. So nice. Find out how that was. Next up, Lost Nation Brewing is in Morrisville, Vermont. That I've not been to. Neither have I. And I, I feel like I've heard of them and may have had one or two of their beers in the past. But I think I, I've had one of theirs when we were up in from, uh, up in Killington. That's what I think, too. Maybe at um, at the Yosh or something. Yeah. I honestly could not tell you. I, 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 we must have at some point. 
Yeah, we ha- we have. They've to. been around since 2013, so it's not like they're one of these like brand new ones. Yeah, they're talking about their ghosts, and I'm uh, I'm not a big ghost person. Yeah, me neither. All right, next up, we got Red Clover Ale Company, which is in Brandon, Vermont. That uh, one I'm not familiar with either. Not I either. So they're saying it's the real deal. Founded by three brothers-in-law, they have gentle, subtle, hazy IPAs. That's speaking our language. Speaking, yeah, it's in our wheelhouse. They're up the up the road from uh, Rutland. If you were oh, okay. up to seven, nice. Yeah. And that was number seven, so that's the list. There you go. So pretty strong three. list. I don't know Lost Nation or the other one, but all the other ones, I'm I'm in agreement. You know, with ski season right around the corner, this list may be extra important to folks who are in the on the East Coast in the New England area and are looking to to score some yummy beers for apre because. Who knows what Apre will be like this season? You're going to be sitting in your parking lot with a cooler, hanging out with your buddies. Six Dude, feet Apre away. can start at 10 a.m. if you can't get a ticket to get into the goddamn place. Right. So you know what you do? Drive around, visit these breweries, and you have something to do that day. You could do a lot worse. Let's go to Ski News. And just when you thought things couldn't get any weirder with coronavirus... How about Croatians to sue Austria for COVID-19 infections at ski resort? Damn. A lawyer representing people who became infected with COVID-19 at a popular Austrian ski resort said that thousands of people, among them nine Croats, are ready to file a lawsuit against Austria. I didn't know you could do that. Apparently, sue a country. Just suing the whole goddamn country. So, are we? Should we be afraid that like people are going to sue us for McDonald's in the future? You're going to sue America. Like you made us fatter and unhealthier. I don't even know. But these suits are being brought by people who got infected at the well-known ski resort of Ischgl, a town in the province of Tyrol known for its nightlife. This is going to be hard to prove, though. Dude, how the hell are you going to prove that? Well, even if you did get it in Ishkel, right? You were on, you know, skiing, you're traveling. You had to get on a bus probably to get to the airport. You had to go on an airplane to fly. Like, so there's a lot of ways you could have gotten it on the way too. Yeah. I mean, and, and can, I don't know if the science exists when you can pinpoint where and when you got it. I mean, I'm, look I'm not suing. I'm not suing Tom's loft in goddamn Ludlow because I got the flu back in March. I, you know, if you had the technology, maybe you could have pinpointed on, but like, look, I also don't have, a, I don't have a blood sucking goddamn soulless lawyer either who would go and represent me for this case. See, that's, that's what you need. Now, unless they could look at the coronavirus, like the cells and they have like Ishkill t-shirts or something like that, or the logo, like there's no way you could say that that Corona came from Ishkill. They check their Instagram feed. They see they were actually there at Ishkill. Yeah, but they were also on an airplane, probably. Right? Dude, I don't like this at the all. Airport. I don't like this at all. This yeah. this is very gross. I don't know how you can do this. This lawyer, Peter Kolba, who sounds like a dick, <laughs> he said that people from 45 countries have said they are ready to sue Austria because they believe that the authorities failed to take the necessary precautions and allowed the facilities to remain open after it was clear that there was an outbreak. Bunch of goddamn nannies. What happened to Europe? Used to be just 
bands of ravaging savages attacking and killing each other Attila the Hun. You know, now it's just nobody told me I might get a might get the sniffle, so I'm gonna sue you. Like, isn't there Meanwhile, any personal get, responsibility? Like, if you get hurt on a ski run there, it's your responsibility. But yet now COVID's not your responsibility. You went to like a COVID just about it's like a rave. It's just everybody how come yeah. on your lift ticket it says you are not respond like you cannot sue the mountain if something happens to you if you're injured, but now you can sue the goddamn country because you get the sniffles. Yeah, don't isn't that when they let you in the country and they stamp your passport that that's part of like hey, that releases us from any liability. I mean, they're suing the country. <laughs> yeah, like that's they're weird. Suing the country because they got sick. Yeah, for. For doing for not taking adequate precautions, which are a guess anyway, right? So you take precautions, they may be the right or wrong ones. So I don't I don't know. I don't know how you can make this stick, but anybody could sue anybody. So I, I don't know how you can prove that you got it there. I mean, yeah. is, I, the timeline and you know, do you take do you have proof that you tested positive for it and you can somehow tie those incidents together like the timing of the infection. Like, I don't know how you can prove that, but I'm an idiot. So what the hell do I know? I friggin' didn't wash my hands and I got the flu back at Tom's loft. Probably most likely, allegedly you hard on Tom's loft. You can't prove it. I can't prove shit. I'm not suing Tom's loft. And I'll tell you what, the next time I skied Okimo, guess where I'm goddamn going for apres ski. I'm going to Tom's loft place is fucking fantastic. You know what? (laughs) It's on me. I didn't wash my goddamn hands and I started eating nachos and licking my fingers. That's what happens. It's called personal responsibility. Get some of that, son. Some of it. Take your vitamin D, some vitamin C, get a little sleep. You fight through it. Boom. Bunch of Marys. Not medical advice. I'm a moron. That's right. Just so you know. Not a like, doctor, but you stayed Like you didn't listen to the last half an hour of this and didn't realize that. <laughs> More happy right. news. What do we got? More happy news. So the ice sheet is melting... Ice sheet melting is perfectly in line with our worst case scenario, scientists warn. And this is from sciencealert.com. So this must be real. They're saying uh, the Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets hold enough frozen water to lift oceans 65 meters, which is half a mile to me and you. 65 meters? 65 meters. That's 190 feet, right? 195 feet about? No, meters to miles, it's a half a mile. No, a meter is not a kilometer. There's three feet in a meter. 65 meters. So three times 65 is like one. Oh, never mind. 195 195 meters, 195 feet. Okay, let's go to feet. How about yards? I think a yard and a meter are almost the same. 213 feet. 213. All right, there you go. It's a yard and a meter are close, 71 yards down to the 30. Let's put it that way. So 200 feet, we'll call it. Well, 200 feet, yeah. So they're saying that's the worst case scenario of sea level growth. And they're saying like what they've observed in the last few years, they say it is in line with, with some of their worst predictions. And they're saying they have, they're going to have to come up with new predictions because the worst predictions have already started to come true. They're saying there's a bunch of other domino effect things that would happen from this. Coastal regions will be flooded, you know, have severe flooding. They said seawalls. They estimated some of the spending that would be needed too. And they're saying total sea rise of at least a meter would require spending of upward of $70 billion a year in seawalls sea and defenses against flooding. $70 billion a year. 
Like, I don't know where recently where COVID hit, like everything's in the billions and trillions. Like there's no millions. There's no hundred thousands. No, we start with a B now. Yeah. But ain't starting with a B. It ain't nothing. B. That's right. They're saying, you know, long term impact of global warming. They're saying, you know, uh, temperatures rise at the poles more quickly for the planet as whole. They said last year, Greenland lost a record 532 billion tons of ice Olympic uh, equivalent of six Olympic pools of cold, fresh flowing water into the Atlantic every second. It's a lot of goddamn water. So they're saying that runoff accounted for 40% of the sea level rise in 2019. Damn. Like that's just Greenland alone. Now, what if everybody stops commuting now because of the pandemic? What if that gets reversed? See, I don't, I don't know. I, I know that everything has bounced back a little and it's gotten better for the earth a little, but um, I think the, the global warming's already done. I don't know how you cool it back down. I think what you need is Elon Musk to put up a big umbrella, block out the sun for like a few days, and we'll go right into a nice little cool period. Why can't like the Yeti cooler people do something? I don't know. I think all you got to do is block the sun out for a little bit and then have it just disintegrate or squish back together. So, have like, so why doesn't Yeti and Tesla work together on this? That's what they should do. Doesn't it seem like Yeti and Tesla could find a solution to this. Unless the Elon Musk already has something up there, right? Mm. You see his, his little satellite link. What if that turns out to net together and then blanket the earth for a little bit? It's the mesh network. Mesh network. It reflects the sun. Yeah. Well, that's like whenever there's like an eclipse, it's kind of uh, like when we had that big eclipse, it got really cold, like really quick for a few seconds. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if we had that happen for like an hour, I think it would probably set everything straight again, right? <laughs> a couple minutes, right? Maybe, maybe two hours. Minutes. You nice don't want to do two. You don't want somebody going up there and be like, oh, it broke. And now the, you know, the shield is, is going to keep blocking us. Like we're going to a super ice age then. <laughs> it's super ice age. You have to have yeah, some light. No light. That's a problem. You don't want that. No light. Freaking just total darkness and cold. Yeah. That wouldn't be so good. Yeah. Dude, then I don't again, skiing would be freaking phenomenal. But it'd be dark. That's all right. Night skiing. Mm, night skiing sucks. Let's be honest. Come on. We got lights and we don't have to worry about global warming anymore. Just fucking crank up the generators and start going. <laughs> Everyone's got, think about the kind of, like you'd have to get a whole new ski get up, which are all just full of lights. Because think about tree skiing. You can't really tree ski at night. Oh, yeah, you just, can. Yeah, once you can, sure. Imagine you're like just, your whole get up was all just like LED lights. Just so it would be like daytime because you're all lighting the whole place up. That's it. That's all you do. What we do is we super breed fireflies to withstand cold and then let them go out and light up everything. <laughs> See, there's solutions to this, people. Wherever there's a problem, you come to us, we'll come up with solutions. They're genetically engineering mosquitoes, right? Why can't they do lightning bugs to give us light? There you go. <laughs> See, we're not we don't have the science behind how it's gonna work. We just oh, have yeah. the ideas how the idea for you to make it work. So we see that's the sadness of when they did the love bug and they released that out for no stu- for no apparent reason. If they did that with a lightning bug, now you'd have all these extra lightning bugs for a certain time of year. That'd be kind of cool. That could be nice, right? Like it's lightning season, lightning bug season. <laughs> so we're still on lockdown and a lot of ice is melting, but you know what? There's still plenty of snow out there. 
So perhaps you're stuck at home and you're going, God damn it, I wish I could become PSIA certified as a ski instructor. Well, guess what? The good folks of PSIA and AASI now have e-learning courses available. So you can expand your digital learning with e-learning courses and tools while you study at home on any platform you'd like to use. If you are a PSIA AASI member, these courses give you a different way to learn how to increase your current skills, and they can even help you achieve your certification. Or if you're a new instructor and thinking about becoming a PSIA AASI member, these courses give you a good introduction into the snow sports industry. So they have free classes available online, which is pretty awesome. They have a, a Burton Riglet PE course, course for new instructors, delivering the beginner experience for alpine, cross country, and snowboard, introduction to working with children, and a snow go course. What's awesome about this is, you know, this can set you up so that you can move on to the next level to get certification. So I'm, I was checking out this introduction to working with children and I'm like, wow, there is some great stuff in here that I could use when teaching my son how to ski. So as a parent, it should be helpful, right? It should be. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So I've already signed up uh, for an account. So I'm going to, to dive into some of these courses in the fall so that once the snow is on the ground, I'll have some, some new information, but you know, it's one of the things once I retire and the podcast is my, my mostly full-time gig, I'm going to have to do something to keep up, to get some fodder, to keep things interesting. Why not become PSA, PSIA certified? That could be a fun undertaking. Well, and if you think about it, this is probably more important now than ever, because if they are going to limit the number of people in the parks, there's probably going to be more people looking to do some backcountry skiing or trying it, right? The more info you have, the better off you're going to be. Exactly. All right. Next up, we got Snowtopia Ski Resort Tycoon releases this fall. Perhaps you don't want to waste your time being a PSIA certified instructor. Perhaps you just want to play a goddamn video game. And act like one. That's that's all you got to (laughs) do. So they're saying it's developers T for two announced Snowtopia Ski Resort Tycoon developed for release during the fall of 2020. That's coming up very soon. And they're saying you start, you pick a mountain that you like, then you have, you know, varying conditions on each mountain. Then you start building ski lifts, lift chair or gondola. You start moving people where they need to be. And then you start placing ski slopes for blue and, and you know, longer ones for green, some red, some slalom, all the way to the dangerous black for experienced uh, skiers. You do all that and you kind of manage your uh, your little ski resort. So so it's kind of like the old SimCity, you know, roller coaster tycoon, all those kind of games. But exactly. you're making a ski resort. Yeah. So if you like, I guess, like Farmville or any of those other ones, I'm sure there's wacky shit that'll be in here and you run your own ski resort. So this would be prepped to us owning our own ski resort someday. So, you know, we, I wonder if that Soldier Mountain in Idaho is still for sale. I know it was last year. I'm sure we get some cheap financing. Pick it up on the cheap, perhaps. Yeah. This is in Idaho, right? Idaho. Yeah. I wonder what sort of expansion packs they're going to have and like what, the limitations are of what you can build on this. Like, I wonder well, if you could add, like, you're going to be good, right? That's what makes these games so much fun. Is like if you have like some sort of package where have like a craft brewery on site at the mountain, or yeah, 
yeah, you get some sort of like uh like X Games terrain park right. in your Snowtopia. You can have your own Folly Deuce and Opry Ski scene. Right? You can have your own like Corbett's Couloir there. Corbett's Heli Ski. Heli Ski Operation, right? Yurts. This is where we got to get our yurt idea going. Your X. Yurt. <laughs> Boom. You want a yurt? Boom. Right on your ski resort. Yeah, you could have, you could have the European expansion pack with like, you know, some nice cool things that are specific to those areas or and like the jack run like that still the bootlegger huh. run remember they had where you can go through all the duty free yeah that's right austria kind of austrian swiss border hey, you could have uh ishkill could be a mountain and then you know you have you to find there well you have to put build a hospital because all the people getting sick right <laughs> or like when we're in uh in zermatt they have no hospital in town, so everybody gets heli lifted. So you got to have, you got to buy helicopters. You got to get a heli operation. Uh, yeah. You know, on mountain uh, restaurants and, and bars like Henustal or the champagne bar. You should be really happy because you know what this is setting the stage for? If you have a virtual reality place, like almost like an online version of this, then you'd have to have some people that go in there and groom the slopes. Virtual snowcat. Virtual snowcat going on the ski mountain. I like it. You just be grooming all day. <laughs> grooming. That would be heaven. They're showing the snowcat here in this thing. So oh. like, do you have to like, hire the guy who drives the snowcat too? Yeah, like, probably. There's like a bunch of different interviews you have to have to have with the guy. Do you smoke weed? Sorry. Here I, I plead the fifth. That's where you fail for having that as a question. Who asked that question? Why would you ask that question? Exactly. So you know what? If you're into video games and gaming and having your own personal ski resort virtually, then this game, Snowtopia, is for you. Well, I like strategy games and simulation games. So it'd be cool is if you have risk with Snowtopia and like mountains taking over other mountains, like so you could own all of them at one time. Like Monopoly. Global like mountain domination. Nonopoly. Some people like doing this virtually. Some people, as we roll into the main topic, like to do it in reality. They have a goal. They have a vision. They have a dream. They put all their chips on the table and they go after it. So we had a wonderful interview this week with Benjamin Alexander, who is trying to become the first Jamaican Alpine athlete in the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games. That's awesome. We had a wonderful chat with him. He's got a crazy story and it still blows my mind that he just learned to ski in 2016 and now he's gunning for a spot. He's going for it and he's just a, a positive, really cool person. He's got everything set up for success and we had a wonderful time chatting with him and we think you guys will enjoy the interview as well. So right. check it out. Here's Benjamin. All right. So we have a very special guest this week, Benjamin Alexander. I don't know if you've heard about this gentleman, but super inspiring story. He is trying to be the first Alpine Jamaican Olympic athlete, in Beijing 2022, 2022. Those are words. So a big welcome, Benjamin. Thank you for joining us. And uh, the crowd's going crazy. The crowd's going nuts. Thank you for having me. I love the show, guys. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks so much. 
So for those not familiar with your story, uh, do you want to do a, a quick little intro? Yeah, sure. So as you said, I'm, I'm, I'm working on becoming the first alpine skier to represent the nation of Jamaica in the next Winter Olympics. I have a little bit of an interesting story, uh, not only the fact that I'm trying to represent Jamaica, but also in, in, the, in the fact that I just started skiing in 2016. So I'm super new to the whole thing. That's I spent amazing. the last decade as an international DJ traveling the world, and, and that was my life. And now this is the next fun project that I'm working on. Sweet. That's, that's really unbelievable. So now you're in Jamaica right now, right? Yes. Yeah. You catch me on the North coast of the Island. Okay. And now you're training with some of the Jamaican Olympians, right? That's the plan. So, um, you know, with COVID in place right now, I had to quarantine for the first two weeks. Um, I got out of quarantine a week ago and I've, I've been traveling around the country and exploring, going back to the part of the country that my father was from. Um, and the elections are happening in two days' time, so it's complete madness oh, right wow. now. On the- oh, wow. But as soon as that's done, I, uh, I'll be down in Kingston and hopefully training with some of the summer Olympians, yeah. Now, you weren't at yes. Usain Bolt's birthday party, were you? I was not at Usain Bolt's birthday <laughs> party. So that's I think a good I'm still thing, <laughs> usually it'd be like oh too bad but now seeing as how yeah. you got covid probably a good thing right yeah and the police are investigating that party actually i think a lot of people are upset Oof. that there might be one rule for a certain caliber of people and a, a different rule for others so i'm happy that i didn't get the invite to that one yeah seriously <sighs> dodge the bullet there right <laughs> so what is yeah. your what has your summer training been like so far there um so for the most part, I'm focusing on you know, land training. There are, there, are, there are mountains here in Jamaica. Blue Mountain, which is famous for the coffee, goes up to 7,400 feet, but obviously there's no skiing. Uh, and that's close to Kingston. I've based myself on the coast. So realistically, it's all about just weight training uh, and cardio training. I haven't been able to find a Peloton bike down here. I absolutely love the Peloton that I use back home. I just got uh, one three months ago. Love that thing. That's so good. I'm really loving it. I've probably done about 50 classes and I'm finishing in the top zero point zero five percent of the world in most wow. of my classes really really good and and i'm doing that at altitude as well I, i'm sleeping at 7300 feet above sea level back home in jackson so i was just keen to nice. see what i could do on a bike at sea level wow so are you doing any um like rollerblade downhill or anything like that ski blade kind of like on none of that None of that stuff here in Jamaica. To be quite frank, uh, the, the potholes are scary enough in a car. Oh, wow. I would <laughs> I would hate to catch a pothole at like 40, 50 miles an hour coming down on rollerblades or any of the yeah. summer equipment. That would be bad. How about bike riding? You ride up hills. That's kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually recovering from a big uh, mountain bike crash that mm-hmm. I had in Jackson right before I left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bruised the rib or did something like that. You know, that pain that just doesn't go away. Yeah. Um, but I, I love getting on the stationary bike inside of the, inside of the gym. Good. One of my favorite exercises. <laughs> so now one thing you alluded to before is now you've only been skiing since 2016, correct? Correct. Yeah. And before you were an Olympic hopeful, you were an international DJ. Yes. And according to your bio, it was at Whistler where you were DJing a party. That's where you decided to first take your your first ski lesson. Is that correct? Almost. So Almost. The, first, the first exposure that I had to the wonderful outdoors covered in snow and the mountainous terrain that we all love on this podcast was actually at a heli ski trip that was in Christmas of 2015. A friend of mine organizes a regular trip uh, at an event at a, at a heli ski lodge called Micah. 
Um, and I was invited to come along as part of the contingent of non-skiers. We flew in DJ equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and on one of the one of the days, we were flown up to the top of the mountain to have lunch with all the skiers and really just experience what it was like in, in you know in this terrain. And it was there and then that I decided that I absolutely wanted to be a part of this sport. Fast forward to two months after this, uh, I was actually DJing in Brazil in Rio de Janeiro, and I was flown to Whistler to DJ at a swingers party. Uh, and in between, in between all of the madness, there was when I decided that this was the time to take a lesson and figure this sport out. So that that's kind of like the backstory to to how I got started. Nice. So we're just glossing over the swingers party part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Squatting over. So you skate the swingers party to go skiing, which is which is probably a good idea too. Another you dodge another bullet there. <laughs> uh, the things you get to see as a DJ, that's all I'll say. That's right. <laughs> well, that's another cool question. So I know you mentioned like being flown up and on the hell skiing trip. Now I know like those um those circle DJ sets, they had um yep. was it Adriatic? Is that how you pronounce their name? They were at uh, uh-huh. Alp de Hui. Is that in France? Out to, oh, yeah. out to it's such a beautiful video, right? I love that set. I just like just put it on sometimes just to have the music and then like the, the view and the background. It's fantastic. Yeah. One of, one of the that's what they do there. One of the videos that that channel has put out was down in the salt flats of Bolivia. Uh, the Saya the Yumi, I forget how to pronounce it, but it's set over sunset and it's the salt flats with a tiny bit of water on it. So you have this beautiful mirrored image. Um, and that's quite similar to what we actually do. So part of what I did as a DJ is help run the largest soundstage at the event Burning Man. And that soundstage is called Robot Heart. Um, and you can find all of our SoundCloud sets online or, you know, there's so, there's hundreds of thousands of YouTube videos and stuff that's been put up there from Robot Heart at Burning Man. So we're we're quite close to the circle, guys. We're considering doing something with them, actually. That's super cool. So I guess that's how you got invited to the swinger party. <laughs> Part of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's funny. We've been doing this podcast for like five years and we've talked about Burning Man every single year and we neither of us have gone. I know. It's just one of those things. Obviously this year, not going to happen. And it's, coming yeah. up, it's this, it would be this week, right? It would be this week. Yeah. I mean, typically uh, my, my team and I would be out there for about two weeks in total. So we would have already been in the dust for about nine days at this moment. Uh, wow. So it's definitely a shock to the system. This would have been my 10th consecutive year. Uh, but sometimes change is good, right? It's, it's good to, to do other things. Uh, and my my socials are completely filled with photos and videos from, you know, people reminiscing from previous years. So I definitely miss it. It's, it's something you guys should definitely get to see. And wow. I'm actually thinking of maybe setting up a kind of mini dry ski slope there at 2021 if we have a Burning Man, just as like a... You know, a fun thing for people to interact with and do out there at Burning Man that's kind of in tandem with what I'm doing with this ski bit. You can get like Candide nice. Sauvet to show up and like launch yeah, over exactly. the, uh, <laughs> the Burning Man at one point. Send yeah. it off of like fake mountains. That'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the another question I have about, so you're an international DJ. You go to this swingers party, you're DJing, you, you start skiing. Now to be an Olympic skier, you have to be in tremendous shape. And when you think about, well, it's probably a stereotype regarding DJs, you're thinking partying all night and perhaps some allegedly recreational drugs. Yeah. How, did, how did you, like, were you doing some sort of training regimen at that time as well? No. So I was, uh, I was kind of like the typical DJ. I'm just going to readjust so I don't get caught in the rain. As I said, Hurricane Nana is uh, passing us by here. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, just, okay, now I'm covered. All right, let's get back into view. Um, so during that period, I did have the you know typical DJ unhealthy lifestyle in that I was on a plane every third day uh, and that it was late nights into early mornings, if not afternoons, and just not really much structure or routine to life. And it's, it's easy to become unhealthy like that. Um, but then after giving that up, because I'm actually retired now, I retired in 2018, uh, it's just really been all about skiing. I skied 181 days this season. Uh, almost 100 of those days were in the backcountry. And over those 100 days, I basically climbed almost 300,000 vertical feet. And that's where a lot of my fitness and endurance and strength has come from, from being forced into the backcountry because of uh, because of COVID, because of Corona, and having to learn the backcountry side of our sport and just loving it and really enjoying the, the fitness that's come out of it. Um, I, I love using my Peloton bike. We have one at the house I'm at in Jackson, and I'm typically finishing in the top 0.05% of the world in my classes. Nice. Um, and outperforming all of the ESPN All-Stars that they put together for that charity nice. ride they did in May. Uh, the winner was Matt Grievers or yeah, Matt, Matt Grievers. He's a six time U.S. Uh, medalist, Olympic medalist. He's the current U.S. swim team guy. Uh, he's a 240 pound beast, six foot seven. And I managed to outperform him on, on the Peloton uh, charity ride. So I've gotten a lot of fitness out of the backcountry. And that's kind of put an end to that unhealthy section of life, DJing, and, and become the, the, the launch pad for this new healthy athlete version of myself. So even before you were like before you were a DJ, you weren't into serious athletics then or or anything? No, no. I mean I'm I'm, I'm English born and raised. And so us Brits, we play football. That's all we do. We're fanatic about football. Our second sport isn't even on the isn't even on the radar. Um Hooliganism, so was, right? Say that again. Hooliganism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Darts. Darts. <laughs> <laughs> the ancillary sport to the primary sport. Um, you know, I, I was good. I played for the school team, but I, I wasn't a, an outstanding athlete. But I think when you approach things at later in later life and you come at it with a mature like, adult mindset, you can just throw yourself, really throw yourself at these things. Um, and really, the, the fitness has just come really easy as a result of my dedication and desire to just be out there and ski. I think the addiction to skiing has just given me fitness as a, as a side effect, a, you know, like a, an ancillary benefit. I wasn't even aiming for that, but that just came along with skiing every day. That's so amazing. And I guess too, like, you know, again, if you weren't uh, one of those, you know, some of these kids you, you hear, they're, they're training for the Olympics at eight years old, they're blowing out yeah. their knees, they're blowing out their hips. It's almost like, like you mentioned, you have this wisdom at an older age, but you have this body that hasn't been mangled and destroyed yet. Right. So you can, yeah, you can come sure. at it at a, a more uh, advanced, a more intelligent, a wiser state. And your body's like, oh, let's just do this. We're not all beat up. We're not destroyed. We can make this happen. Totally. I mean, I, we all know athletes that are just really struggling with their joints or back pain or, I, I mean, I watched, uh, Oh, what's the name? Reggie, the, the you know, nine time Mr. Olympian. Poor guy has had a dozen surgeries on his back. And oh, Ryan Coleman? he walks, you know, basically has the body of an 80 or 90 year old right now. He's just really struggling. And we all know athletes that have been doing their trade for, for decades upon decades and are now in the middle ages and just really, really struggling. I didn't really have that. So I guess I'm fortunate in that regard. Yeah. I think too, it's a, a testament to just technology. Like there's ways to train. Like you said, you do the Peloton bike. So you're simulating a lot of stuff without actually being out, you know, um, on the course or, or kind of in harm's way. So 
that helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure everybody's benefiting from it, but you're a perfect example, I guess, of, you know, how you can make that go from, you know, a DJ to now all of a sudden you're, you're an open. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think we're blessed with all of these high tech tools. So a couple of other things I use, I use the tonal. It's a company based out of uh, San Francisco and it's basically like a multi gym, but it's all electronic with electronic uh, weights. Um, so the resistance is created by magnets uh, and that's, you know, that's oh, really magnets. great. Not get injured and, and to improve my strength. And then there's also a company based out of, where are they from? I think they're out of uh, London. It's called Carve. Have you heard of this, guys? It's a boot insert that gives yes. you real-time feedback about your skiing as you're going down the slope. They sponsored me with a product, and I've been using that as well. And so we have all of these new gadgets and technology to uh, to help us along the way. Very nice. That's so cool, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's that- putting the technology into coaching and, and guiding you, so it's it's perfect. I mean, way to do it. Yeah. Just in that... So you're saying you're um, in the wintertime, you're based in, in Jackson? Yeah, so I've chosen Jackson as my base. The uh, the friend that got me into skiing has a, has a beautiful house out there. He's a former ski racer himself when he was in his teenage years. Um, he was the guy that invited me out to the, the Heli Ski Lodge. His, Tom is his name. And back in October of last year, when I wasn't sure which mountain I was going to ski on, I was thinking about Revelstoke. Um, Tom just said to me, you know, buddy, my house is empty. My house is your house. Just get out there. And he's been, he's been my biggest supporter thus far with, with, you know, pre-accommodation and, and getting me into the sport and connecting me to a lot of the, the world's best skier, skiers. Well, Jackson's a place to do it, right? It's not, it's not Tommy Mo, is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Cause I know he's a Jackson guy. I know he's a, we, we call him a buddy of ours. We actually, we have skied with him and, we uh, we saw him at a, a trade show a couple years ago because I'm sure I don't know if you've run into him at all. I know he's all over the resort there in the winter time. No, I'm not. I haven't run into him. I mean, in our crew, the, you know, Steve Nyman, current U.S. downhiller, recovering from an injury, sending him best regards. Uh, Lindsey Dyer, big mountain professional skier. Travis Rice, obviously, he does the the one stick on the snowboard instead of two. Um, and there's lots of other really. Uh, who else? Uh, Breezy Johnson's part of the crew. There's a lot of good skiers out there that are just helping me and directing me and kind of keeping me on the rails with regards to my training and making sure i don't make any silly mistakes that's, that's cool. so unbelievable that the crew that you're rolling with now how do you like where do you, was there a certain like a moment where you said where you were getting started skiing really falling in love with it and said you know what i'm training for the olympics going forward yeah so what happened is in 2018 uh friends of mine set up an event called send it it is a tech entrepreneur event that happens on a mountain. So it happens on Revelstoke in British Columbia. And it's about 150 to 200 of us. It changes year by year that dress up, drink alcohol, and ski our hearts out for, for five days. And he had his first event in January of 2018. I then went to the Olympics uh, that same year in South Korea as, a, as an attendee. And at the Olympics, I realized that the nation of Jamaica only had three represented or three athletes representing it. So a little bit of a seed of an idea was formed there. I then skied Japan. I then skied seven mountains across Patagonia, both sides that same year. And I kind of 
really, really got the ski bug in 2018. Then in 2019, going back to that event, send it, friends and I decided to take an apartment or a house for a whole month. And going into that event, I was like, if I can survive a month of skiing, because I love to go fast, and obviously I had zero technique back then, if I can survive a month of high-speed skiing, maybe there's some legs to this crazy idea of getting to the Olympics. Five days into that month, I skied with Gordon Gray, former U.S. national skier, and I told him about my idea. And after a day of skiing together, Gordon says, all right, I'll, I'll give you the Scooby. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I feel about this bit or this idea of yours. Your technique sucks. But <laughs> that's to be expected. You've skied, what, 20, 25 days so far? And you told me you've had two lessons in that period. He wow. said, but the one thing I can't understand is how the hell are you keeping up with me? I'm a former U.S. national skier. You've skied 20-something days. I've been skiing since I was two. And you're keeping up with me. I don't understand it. Like, you're completely fearless. And he said, you have more than half the battle won there. Like, I can teach you technique. We can teach you technique. We can't teach you not to be afraid. Um, and it was actually Gordon who helped me understand the difference between all the disciplines, helped me understand what would be the prerequisites of qualification for each discipline and what would be required to compete for Jamaica. Um, he helped me understand what a fist point was. I didn't even know what that was at the start of last year. And, and so he was really pivotal in saying, okay, you've got something here. Let's see if we can actually turn this from just a pipe dream into reality. And so I would say that coming out of that six weeks, it turned into, because I extended my trip as we would all love to do at, every, at the end of every ski trip. Mm. Um, I came out of that and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'd skied 1.7 million vertical feet in those 37 days. And I left the mountain of Revelstoke with a, with a record of having the most skied vert in one day. Uh, I skied 103,351 vertical feet in one day. So wow. those kind of little weird numbers that I love to talk about um, just help me decide, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to give it a shot. Wow. That's amazing. That yeah. is so cool. So now you mentioned, um, so the, the fist points. So that whole qualification, right? You have to get so many points during events throughout the year to qualify for the bigger events. Is that how it works? Yeah, so the, the, the spirit of the Olympics is that every nation should be able to be represented in every single sport, right? And it's important to understand that because that's what makes this possible. And so what the Olympics have kind of set out is that every nation can put forward one B-standard athlete. Now, the prerequisites for qualification for a B-standard athlete are 160 fist points. Fist points go down for the readers that are you know, not into racing. Uh, and zero would be the you know the top of the tops, the Ted Ligeties and all of those guys. Um, 160 fist points would actually be a Ted Ligeti at the age of 15 or 16 years old. So technically what I need to do, or not technically, but basically what I need to do is get my skiing level up to that of a really good 15, 16 year old teenage racer. Um, and I become a shoe in for the Olympics. As long as I have the support of my national Olympic committee, uh, which I do, uh, I was, you know, got to meet them the first time last week. Um, and then that's it. So it, it's not easy. It, it's it's not a walk in the park and I've had to put a lot of time and effort into it. And there'll be a lot more work and blood, sweat and tears that get me from here to qualification, but it's doable. So how many events have you done so far for, for points? Yep. So I've skied six races. Um, the overarching goal for 2020, the winter of 2020, was to get as much time on snow as possible and to get to about 10 races, not to be competitive, but to kind of understand how the whole system works, how the scoring system works, to make all of the mistakes that I'm bound to make, but make them when the points don't matter. And then go into the 2021 season with a view to get about 
uh, two dozen races, 25 you know, to 30 races, shall we say, under my belt, at which point I should be qualified by, by, by the, by having, after having done that. So the reason I got to only six races, you know, we all suffered from a short season this, uh, this year. I didn't get to race at Jackson. I didn't get to race in Mammoth. Um, but in terms of what I've achieved thus far, I, you know, I, I feel very good about it. And I feel that as long as we have a somewhat normal race calendar this year, and we know that the World Cup races have been moved around. Um, but if we have a somewhat normal race calendar for the for the uh, the criteria which I'm racing, then I'm I'm certain I'll be qualified by April, yeah, March or April of next year. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. So now all the um all the races are going to be in Europe this year, correct? So so there's a differentiation. All of the World Cup races will be in Europe. And the, the reason behind that, or at least the reason they're saying is that they don't want to have to have everyone crossing the Atlantic backwards and forwards. And, you know, with the way the border situation is right now, I can completely understand that mm-hmm. um, if you try to put all of the athletes in a bubble and just keep them within inside of Europe and have all of the North American athletes just go to Europe and base there, it, it just re- reduces complexity. So it's going to be tough for those that are going to have to be away from their family or move their entire family across to Europe for that period. But I think the net problems and the net disruption is much less than asking all races from around the world have to have to keep bouncing between Europe and, and North America, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So are you going to be based somewhere else then this winter? No, my plan is to stay at Jackson. Um, the beautiful thing about Jackson is that I can be a part of the Western Tech Conference and I can get to over 20 races within an eight-hour drive of Jackson, which just awesome. massively reduces stress and economical concerns and financial concerns with regards to getting to enough races. If you have to put that 80-pound bag onto a plane every weekend, it's not only is it a pain in the rear end, but it also starts to get a little pricey. Yeah. Also, it stresses on the body too from all the flying, and yeah, it's, yeah. if you can do that, I, mean, that's... I left that life behind. Being on a plane every third day, DJ in a new city, was the life I left behind. So I'm really enjoying the sitting still element of uh, winter sports and just staying in Jackson and not moving at all. <laughs> so now, do you have a, a bunch of sponsors, or how's that working for financing the operation? Yeah, so thus far, I've been funding it out of uh, my own pocket and with the goodwill of people around me, such as my buddy Tom, who's, you know, I'm staying with him for free, and a few other people that have chucked me equipment and so forth. What I wanted to view the season of 2020 as was kind of like a proof of concept. It was going to be the first full winter that I would dedicate towards skiing, and the intention was that at the end of that, that season, or this season, shall we say, I would have enough data points to speak to sponsors and say, hey, you know, this thing may have been a pipe dream just just like 10 months ago or, or just like, you know, a year ago. Now it's a reality. I have fist points. Um, I've raced with the people at the caliber of which I need to kind of compete with and beat. Uh, and I've shown the hard work and dedication with the 181 days, 100 of them in the backcountry. Now it's time for sponsors. So I don't have any financial sponsors right now. So if anyone's listening, uh, I'm all ears and would love to be connected to people. Where can they get to sponsor you? Where do they reach out to you? Uh, I think the easiest way right now would be just through Instagram to DM me. My uh, Instagram handle is Benji, B-E-N-J-I dot ski. And if you just type that into Google as well, it'll take you to the website, Benji, uh, Benji.ski. There's no dot com at the end of it. That will take you to my website. You can contact me there as well. Nice. Perfect. Now, what do you see right now as the biggest obstacle between today and starting gate in Beijing in 2022? There's, there's two. Uh, and they're kind of on equal footing. 
one of them is the the border issue and and like will races happen um if we have a diminished calendar let's say let's say for some reason fist decides that uh only a third of races will happen in the united states then those 20 races that i can get access to within an eight hour drive of jackson then become you know seven or eight races and then i have to fly so that that changes the parameter of my uh qualification route um and then the other thing this podcast you'll get a lot of sponsors and you'll have a house in europe somewhere yeah that's the hope that's the hope (laughs) and then the other one is kind of intrinsically linked in that it's the financial aspect so it's a little known fact that um most olympians uh, will finish the, their Olympic Games thirty to fifty thousand dollars in debt. Um, I hope to not be one of those one of those people, uh, and so the financial aspect of it as well can can be quite challenging. So that they're, they're both linked in a way, but you know, like I said, I, I feel confident right now. I think the whole world is in the situation of having to learn to be Zen and to go with the flow and not mm-hmm. try to force the matter that's outside of their hands and and try to make things happen that are outside of their control and just sit back and let the world figure out what's going to happen. Let the governing bodies decide what's going to happen with regards to races and, and scheduling. And then once you have the data in hand, make the right choices based on, based on that data. Well, I think it's a wonderful story. And just uh, for, I, I know there's a lot of uh, Jamaican Americans in, in the U S that yeah. I'm sure would probably want to support jump on the, you know, the support wagon for, for getting you to, you know, to the Olympics. I, th- I think it's great. You know, an Island country competing in winter sports is amazing. You know, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I'm, my parents are from Puerto Rico. I was born in the U S but I kind of have the same idea that it'd be great to have like a Puerto Rican ski team, you know? But, you could have been yeah. that guy. Could have been that you guy. Could you, could, you could still be that <laughs> I could guy. Still be that guy. <laughs> Listen, if my story has anything to show for it. Going from DJ to skier, having never skied before 2016, I think you have the potential to be that guy. <laughs> I think I might have to start. Now is the time. I got two years, right? So we'll see. <laughs> you need to be qualified by January of 2022. You got to get on your horse, my man. All right. Yeah. Got to step things up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it's a great story. I mean, I'm, I hope people come out out of the woodwork to support you because uh, it's a really great story. And there are a lot of people, you know, lot, I, I've met a bunch of, I had a great friend in, in college that was uh, Jamaican and, uh, he, you know, his parents were pretty well off. So I'll have to reach out and be like, look, did you know about the Jamaican skier? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not only the Jamaican skier, but I'm the Jamaican ski team. I'm the, I'm the captain of the Jamaican ski team. I'm also <laughs> Jamaican ski team right now. I'm the driver for the Jamaican (laughs) (laughs) baggage handler, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, three quarters of a million Jamaicans in America. So there's a big market there. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And especially too now with social media and the outreach that you can, you know, the way you can reach people now uh, to spread your story. I mean, it really is. I, I, I think about that. You just learned in 2016 to skate. Amazing. You know, four years and you're already looking to to qualify for the Olympics. It's 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 unbelievable. It's so cool. Yeah. I saw uh, I saw an advert here in uh, Jamaica the other day, and it's kind of a cheesy line, but it was you know it's, it's like a, a a painting on the wall that said Jamaican, but with the last four letters the I C A N in different colors. So the Jamae and then the I in a different color to the C A N. So the I can, and I think nice. this is kind of a testament to the can do mentality that. Mm-hmm. 
to consider doing something so late in life, having never skied before, and to try and get to you know compete on the highest field um, in the Olympics is is a big part of that can do mentality. And I think this doesn't only apply to skiing, but it can apply to anything in life. And I hope that it's kind of inspirational for others that are kind of timid to take the first step towards something they've been dying to do for a while. Now, are you feeling the inspiration when you're traveling around Jamaica? Because I know uh, from, you know, the Jamaican bobsledding team, I'm sure that was kind of when that when that started out in inception, I'm sure it was kind of a, you know, a joke. And, you know, people are like, are you really serious? And and now people are probably really jazzed about it, right? Oh, yeah. So Cool Runnings is the name of about 5,000 businesses on this island now. <laughs> and they're really, really proud. They have. Uh, did you guys ever see that Audi advert with Candide where he's like skiing on mountains and everything? And then he gets to a chairlift in the middle of a tropical area. And there's a Jamaican guy that says, Skier man, come back next December. Did you remember that? No, yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> so look at Andy Thorvex, uh, Audi the car brand and it's a four minute long one skip to the end so there is a resort not too far away from where i am right now 10 miles away called uh, mystic mountain there's a chairlift that goes up to the top of this kind of hill and at the top there's like a bobsled so it's created all of these fun um like you know tourist activities they love the bobsled team here and what the story stands for and i actually have a weekly call with Dudley Stokes, who was the pilot for the 1988 Jamaican bobsled team. Oh, wow. And he was nice. a mentor of sorts in this whole story. He's helping me with like sports psychology, sports nutrition, uh, and whatnot. And it's just great to have him a, a part of this. You know, I was nine or 10 years old when the movie Cool Runnings came out. And that, mo- that movie made me very proud to be Jamaican. And I'd like to say that it was kind of like, you know, the seed of the idea started there. So it's great yeah. to have Dudley on our team. It's nice to see people coming out to help too. You know, that's important yeah. helping each other yeah. out. Right. Well, that's too. So, like your attitude too toward this is so wonderful because right now, like you have so many people who are just naysayers and there's so much hostility and negativity going on right now in the world to have like beacons of hope. Like, I mean, that's what we have to draw ourselves towards is like be beacons of hope, beacons of positivity, because it's, it's easy to be someone to go, you know what? It's too hard. I'm not going to do it. But to be exactly. that person who pushes through and is like, you know what? Maybe I won't do it, but I'm going to give it everything I have and see where I end up. And you'll always be in a better place, pushing yourself, challenging yourself, doing something absolutely nuts that people say you can't. And yeah. you are the epitome of this right now. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. it's so much fun just even thinking about you in the Olympics right now. So I really appreciate everything you've done. And uh, and hopefully, I well, I know you, you've definitely inspired some other folks to to kind of challenge themselves as well. Yeah, I mean, it's inspiration. It's uh, the analogy of uh, climbing a mountain happens one step at a time. And if you're looking at the, at the top of the mountain from the from the base, it can seem overwhelming. But if you put your head down and you just kind of keep checking the boxes and take one step at a time, it's amazing what uh, what what kind of the scale of the projects that you can complete um, if you kind of like keep it keep your focus on each small task at a time. And the Confucius, right? A journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Exactly. Exactly right. that. <laughs> yep. I got a couple more questions. I think we're probably taking a lot of your time already, but, um, so do I'm you, good. I got a lot of time for you guys in the world, you're on Island time, right? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so as a DJ, a former DJ, um, do you listen to music when you ski? I do not. I actually think it's dangerous to do so. Um, and especially through the trees, 
It's yeah. just that, that I feed with many people through the trees and, you know, the, the, the kind of like the etiquette is to hoop and holler in case someone goes missing. Right. And the number of times I've skied with skiers that are listening to music, it's just like, no, I, I don't get down with that. But I do, if I'm by myself, if I'm by myself, I will listen to music on the chairlifts. Nice. Okay. And anything particular you, you ski to or, or get you, get you fired up to go skiing? Um, you know, one, one thing crazy, I DJ for 20 years, 10 years professionally around the world. One thing crazy is that when you step back from a profession, sometimes you just end up doing the complete polar opposite. So now instead of being a complete music nerd and being incredibly picky about things, I let Spotify DJ for me. Um, the only type of music that I really associate with skiing would be the kind of eighties motivational music. Like if it's a power day, I'll turn on the <laughs> yeah or like just the rocky theme tune stuff like eye that of the tiger. Tell, eye of the tiger at 7 a.m in the house to get everyone up if it's a powder oh, wow. day like so that <laughs> just gets a more jazz than pump <laughs> very cool oh that's awesome yeah i ski with these um these chips that you put in your helmet and it's oh, like yep. it gives you more ambient sound it doesn't it doesn't um cancel out any sound so it's kind of cool yep. it sounds like it's playing music on the mountain rather than you. Yeah, sure. I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, not sponsors. They're Let's not sponsors. Clear. That's why I didn't mention the name. Screw those. That's guys. right. <laughs> <laughs> so one other music related question I have for you. So yeah. fast forward to the night that you've completed and competed in the GS in the Olympics. Who do you have DJing your after party? You're you going to have to have an after party. Yeah. Oh, no. We're definitely going to have an after party. We're definitely going to have a Jamaica house. Um, I've been starting to collect a lot of reggae music and a lot of dancehall music. I think we should have like an actual reggae party right after or at the closing ceremony in the reggae opera. That seems pretty appropriate. I'm hoping that Red Stripe sponsor the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, the place to be in the Winter Olympics, because where else are you going to go? You're not going to go hang out in one of the Nordic tents. You're going to go to the Jamaican tent, obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> my, uh, my father-in-law lives in Norway, and we've had the cuisine. Not right. going to the Norway tent. <laughs> 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 Wonderful people. Just, eh, they just kind of skipped uh, yeah. the uh, home yeah. classes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah that'd be cool a jamaican house and everything out there i mean yep. well there's going to be some other athletes from jamaica competing right in the winter yeah, so this, this could actually be the biggest contingent of athletes that have gone to a winter olympics we'll have hopefully we'll have the men and women's bobsleigh the women the uh, skeleton there's hopefully two figure skaters um oh, wow. and that means. so i think we'll almost we, we should we could be 10 which would be the most number of athletes Jamaica has ever sent to the Winter Games. And the beautiful thing about my timing is the president of the Jamaican Olympic Association has just taken the role from the guy who had it for 40 years prior to him. Uh, and Christopher Samuda is his name. He's let it be known to me that he really wants to um, have Jamaica represented in a lot more sports. And he really wants the winter side of our athletic offering to be as strong as the summer games. Now, there's a long way, you know, wow. there's a big gap between the two but i feel like my timing um is perfect with regards to getting support from him and the rest of the 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 staff at the jamaican olympic association so yeah it's going to be a fun time that's great it's interesting to hear they're getting into like figure skating i mean those are things you could do all year you know just yeah so it's kind of cool so next thing you have to do you're gonna have to figure out a way to get one of those indoor ski resorts in jamaica yeah so the plan was before I decided to move to Jackson, I was actually uh, 
hanging out in New York quite a bit. And I was very excited. The big snow opened, um, but obviously it closed because of COVID. But I believe that just opened up again, right? Today, they reopened. September 1st, yep. Yeah, awesome. So excited to, to give that a shot. Yeah, we were there last year when it opened and it was a lot of fun. It's really cool. Um, yeah. And one thing we talked about when we, we went there was that, you know, again, it's it's only what 170 feet of vertical. Sure. You know, you, yeah. you can lap it, you can work on your turns, you can improve your form, but they have a little terrain park section too. And I oh, we were nice. saying like, you know, kids who grew up in those areas who might not have had the chance to ski next in the Olympics in like 15, 16 years, they're going to have some insane terrain park skiers from that area. Because if you can train 365 in your backyard, I mean, it's going to open up a whole new demographic of kids, which is awesome. Yep. 100%. And they're planning to open up the next one in Miami, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm down here in in Tampa and there's a lot of winter stuff going on here. I mean, a lot of skating, a lot more rinks I see opening up ice rinks. So I have a yeah. little stepson that plays hockey now. So down in Tampa, that, what do you do? <laughs> that's awesome. No, you're, you're absolutely right. The, you know, the inner city kids that would never have the, the, the ability to get to access winter sports. Um, you know, big snow is really going to change the demographic and, and the landscape of the type of athletes that are at the Olympics in, in, in 10 years time representing the country guaranteed. Mm. Yeah. It's nice. going to be really cool to say like the, the, the way the bar is going to be pushed to, uh, yeah with all these kids getting i mean access how many people have access 365 to any sort of you know skiing terrain park right now they're gonna have that yeah 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 i don't know maybe maybe one day to hood mount hood then in in, in north america there's nowhere else to do that all year round right yeah there's no other glaciers i mean i guess whistler is shutting down one part of their glacier because of the uh the melt melt there of the of it the huntsman uh I believe the, I believe it's the Huntsman uh, T bar that's coming down. Yeah. yeah, so it looks like with you know the way things are happening climate wise, we may have to bring a lot of stuff indoor. But yeah. it's only a matter of time. I mean, our grand great great grandkids may be skiing an indoor Whistler, four thousand yeah. five thousand feet of vertical indoors. Who knows? Yeah. In my old age, I may be watching the Jamaican hockey team facing off. That would be kind of cool. You, you know, go. we have a hockey team. There is yeah. a Jamaican hockey team. Yeah, they're, they're based out of Canada, actually. So, oh, nice. Um, I think it's 300,000 Jamaicans in Canada. And there is actually a Jamaican hockey team. And the hopes is that one day they'll get strong enough to actually get to the Olympics. Yeah, oh, that'd wow. be great. Awesome. That'll, double, that'll triple the size of your team right there. Exactly. exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. How many players do they carry on a hockey team? Right? 25, 26, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. There's your numbers right there. Game changer. <laughs> <laughs> all right so benjamin we really appreciate you taking the time um give everyone the information so they can if they want to reach out to you or sponsor they you sponsor you or anything yeah so best way to access me as i said is benji b-e-n-j-i dot ski and you can type that into your web browser and you can contact me there or you can just type that into instagram and watch a lot of the funny videos that i post <laughs> um and with regards to sponsoring if there's anyone out there that is looking to sponsor an athlete with the can-do mentality that's representing Jamaica, there's a lot of cool points with rep, uh, being connected with Jamaica, obviously, then mm-hmm. I'm all ears. Or if anyone knows anyone that might be interested in this story, I'm just super appreciative of people sharing this journey that I'm on right now, including you guys. So really, thank you for having me on today. 
I think maybe you're going to need to set up like a GoFundMe or something so people can chuck, you know, 10, 15, yeah, 50, 100 million dollars your way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm considering a GoFundMe. We shall see. I hope there are enough um, corporate sponsors out there to help me along the way, but I, I may consider a GoFundMe. Beautiful. Cool. And thank you so much for joining us and for uh, for just what you're doing and being an inspiration because uh, best yeah. of luck and anything we could ever do, you know, we're here for you. So thank yeah. you. Awesome. Don't be a stranger. Really <laughs> but, but please get us on that invite list for the Jamaica house. Yeah. For that, oh, yeah. Uh, that celebration. Consider it done. Awesome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, I Benjamin. Jing, I think I have an extra 50 guest list spots. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Benjamin. Thank you so much. Uh, best of luck in training, and uh, yeah, we'll hopefully talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Yeah, hope so. Thanks, guys. All right. All right thanks. Bye. Right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. You want to hit us up? Need more information? We have the links to all his stuff at skibumpodcast.com. And if you want to send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Under the ropes. Mario, finish it up for us. All right. So the big buzz that's been going around the last 24 hours, well, yeah, about 24 hours, is uh, just hit today. The guy in the jetpack flying 3,000 feet uh, near airplanes at LAX. Um, so this is surprising for two reasons. One, I guess in, in the States, we haven't really seen any big splash like this on the news. Um, they do have, it was a, a, a Dubai Air, uh, Emirates um, commercial or, you know, promo video that they did. And uh, it was in Dubai and they had these two people in jetpacks flying along the airplane, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, but they're saying on Sunday, this past Sunday, um, there was a guy at 3,000 feet flying around all these big jets coming in and out of LAX. And uh, that's pretty terrifying to think about because you're kind of effing around with like people flying on airplanes, not just you wanting to play around with your your jetpack. So why would know, you do you it at the airport? Like, yeah. Does that seem like the asshole place to do this? Total asshole place. I'd go to the beach and do it. Because at least yeah. if you got a problem and you got a crash land, you can go in the water. Yeah. Doesn't that seem a little bit smarter? It does. He probably has a... I would imagine if you're flying that high, you have a parachute just in case. But, um... I mean, this is something you got to think about. You're you're risking killing, you know, hundreds of people in a plane crash, you know, and and killing yourself in the process. But it's just... I don't know, flying in, in, you know, near airplanes. While it seems cool, I'm sure that's a, uh, that's a, you know, throw you away, lock, you know, lock you up and throw away the key and you never heard from again kind of <laughs> offense. Yeah, black SUVs pull up and just kind of throw you in there and yeah, you never heard from again. That's it. FAA, you know, goons, they goon, they goon handle you. Yeah. I love the, uh, I guess the pilot of the plane that saw it. Tower uh, American 1997. We just passed a guy in a jetpack. <laughs> or that's awesome. Yeah, that that's this is why. Like, imagine if they had jetpacks commercially accessible. Like, imagine if any asshole could spend like I don't know what would a jetpack cost, like fifty grand, twenty grand. I don't know these these guys would buy it. 
they should be fifty million dollars. So like only like eight people can have them. Yeah, right. But it's just like look what those razor or the um the hoverboards and the e-scooters like what a problem they are. Oh, they're like they're getting banned. Like they got banned in a lot of cities. Yeah, because people are dipshits. Yeah. Could you imagine a jetpack if it was easily accessible? Even the electric scooters, people, uh, there are cities trying to ban them. They banned them in Hoboken. Yeah. Because people are stupid. Because they can't be trusted to ride around on a fucking scooter. You can give them like a flying vehicle to ride around in. Yeah. Okay, we can't give you a scooter because you don't use that properly. We're going to give you this flying thing that you can fly like right next to airliners and shit like that. The good thing is most people would take their first flight. They would take off and crash into a brick wall. Well, that's, you know. But then we're back to the lawyers again. They're going to come and they're going to sue and then there'll be no more jetpacks for anybody. And then you can't buy them or they'll be, like you said, $50 million each. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Imagine having one of those, but for skiing. Now, here's the thing. You go, oh, look, that's awesome. I don't need a, a ski lift anymore. I don't need to buy a, a friggin' Icon or Epic Pass. So I got a jetpack. I can just go zoom up to the top of the mountain and ski down. Question well, is, would you care about skiing if you had a jetpack? Mm, if you could yes, fly? I yes, I would. It would just get me, instead of taking a helicopter, I could just take the jetpack. Right? But the thing I read about, I was reading that article, and they did say in there that a lot of times the jetpacks need a place up in the sky to take off from such as like a blimp or a see the blimp i always throw in there like a helicopter or something they jump from they don't well, just that was, like that was that guy was like Jetman. what was his name remember the guy who had like the jet pack on his back and mm. they, would, they would show him like taking off from the plane oh really remember he had like the it was like the brightling guy he had like the big brightling logo on there nice. wasn't he called Jetman or wingman or something Jetman sounds like it might be. It sounds it was, familiar. I think it was Jetman. Oh, this is uh, Jetman Dubai takeoff. Yeah. Eve Rossi. That was his name. Oh, there he is. I think this Jetman in Dubai is the uh, the video. Swiss it's, it's... military trained pilot and aviation enthusiast. Nice. He is Jetman. We've definitely talked about him in the past. That's a million percent sure. Oh, see, he's taken off, but he's hovering like Iron Man. Yeah. But I think he usually hops out of a plane. Yeah, I think they said that that's like how they usually... Because to gain that altitude, I guess they just use so much fuel. Oh, yeah. Taking off from a standstill must be a ton yeah. of... Because that's to say, with even those when they sh- uh, launch the shuttles, that's like a huge percentage of the their fuel is consumed right at takeoff. Yeah, that's crazy. But uh, yeah, this is pretty cool. I mean, it's nice to see, but it's kind of disturbing because, you know, we're already worried about people that mean to do us harm doing stupid shit. And I don't want to spell anything out, but this would just be even worse. It's goddamn Al-Qaeda listens to our podcast and they get good (laughs) ideas from us. Well, no, because of positive love and they turn into (laughs) negativity and hatred. But all they have to do, like, they don't even have to do anything. All they have to do is make these fucking jetpacks available to us, and we'll just be the shits that we are. And just saying. Yeah. Imagine like 500 bucks for a jetpack. 
Yeah, we're giving them away. We get five hundred dollars for twelve. You get a twelve pack. Give some to your friends. Give them to all of your friends. They got them at Costco. If you know any military dignitaries, please give it to them too. Yeah, you get a military discount. Oh. Well, that's like uh, there's there's one comedian and he was like, you know, they tell you you can't bring all this this stuff into stadiums, you know, and he's like, and then you go to Yankee Stadium and. What do you what do you think it is? It's fucking bat day. So they're taking a bat and they're putting it in every kid's hand that's walking in into the stadium. <laughs> fucking bat day. But you can't bring in like a bottle of water. All right. <laughs> they awesome. want to sell you the eight dollar bottle they have there. Yeah. But then they give you a free bat. Like, okay, give me a weapon. Enjoy. Okay. Knife day. <laughs> yeah, it's nunchuck day at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> we got we got Yankees nunchuck day. The Hideki Matsui commemorative nunchucks. <laughs> Holy shit. That's funny. <laughs> it's funny. But uh fuck you walk in, they give you all these giveaways. Here's a Rambo knife. It's Rambo Day today. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Smith and Wesson Day. Here you go. Here you go, kid. It's a nine millimeter. The simpler time. In the simpler. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Labor Day weekend. We should all be getting excited. As crazy as things may be in the world, at least I got to work on Saturday. That's labor. That's labor, my friend. Well, it's actually Monday's the Labor Day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Um, I'm looking forward to getting a couple days off and kicking back and relaxing because I'm going to tell you, September is going to be bananas. So I'm excited. Mario, I know you're pretty excited too. We got a lot of stuff coming up in the hopper. This was an awesome interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, with Benjamin, check out his site, Benji.ski. Thank you so much for listening. We do really appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We are on your favorite socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Podcast. Also on the website, we have the shop, skibumpodcast.com slash shop. And we have some new swag that should be arriving in the next week or two. So get excited for that. It's been ordered. It's coming. I'm excited. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you could subscribe and rate us, that would be wonderful. Five stars. Send us an email, skibonpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on YouTube, SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Stay high, stay fluting. See ya.